Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Just because you're working out doesn't mean you shouldn't look fabulous. The Inspire Collection by Kalia was designed with both style and performance in mind. It looks good, feels good, and stays put no matter how you move. And the collection has everything you need for a day at the gym. A support bra, crop tanks, bike shorts, amazing leggings, and more. It's their most versatile collection yet. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm going to whisper some things to you now about crunch chocolate bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Mm. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. Crunchy, munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the fun with crunch. Hello, I'm Kellyanne Taylor, and this is the Radio Times podcast. Every week, I sit down with a celebrity guest from the world of TV or film to talk about their lives, both on and off screen. To my fellow TV enthusiasts, I hope you enjoy listening. I am so excited about this week's episode. It has been one of my absolute favourites to record and it's a conversation that I'm going to hold close to my heart for a really long time to come. This week's guests are the mother-daughter duo dominating the broadcast world. The intelligent, charismatic, awe-inspiring Andy and Makita Oliver. They have this incredible ability to make any conversation with the two of them feel like you're part of their family, like you've known each other for years. And what that means is this episode is tender, it's raw, it's deep, but it's also filled to the brim with laughter. We discuss their broadcast careers and why both of them needed to take a step away from the industry. Life is too short for other, to sit around and wait for other people to give you permission to live and to be your brilliant self and to find your power. So that's not something I've ever been prepared to do then or now, frankly. (laughs) I'm just not going to do it. Why, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough, and how, despite having a challenging relationship with food in the past, it has become the backbone of their success. Enjoy! Welcome to the Radio Times podcast, you beautiful, beautiful girls. I have been looking forward to this chat (laughs) for so long because I spoke to my mum yesterday and I was walking home from the gym and I said, oh my gosh, you wouldn't guess who I'm interviewing tomorrow. She was like, who? I said, Andy and Makita Oliver. <laughs> my queens. And I was like, yeah. She was like, they're going to be a hoot. And I was like, you're right. She was like, you don't need oh. to worry. You're going to have so much fun. Yes, absolutely. So fun we're going to have. Mum was right. Mum was right. 
Yes. They always are. Yes, we are. Correct, correct. Even if we don't want to admit it. Correct, Amundo. So... This is going to be so kitchen sink. So yeah. we kind of talk about TV, talk about your lives and broadcast, talk about your podcast, which I have been loving. Thank you. So it's so oh, do we. So it's been so much fun. So much there, fun. Yeah, so I mean, it's such a beautiful thing for us to do, Kelly, because, you know, Makita and I between us have been broadcasting for quite some time. Mm. And it's really beautiful to do something that is made like within the family, essentially, it's us, it's the team of people that we are, that we've come together to create the podcast. It's really like a little family and it's people we've been working with for years. There's a, you know, Tayo, who's our producer, is new to us, but immediately felt like family because he knows loads. I mean, the fact that we've never met each other before we started this project is quite weird because he literally knows everybody that we know. So And lives next to me. Lives next to <laughs> Makita. And it's just been this incredibly uplifting celebratory empowering wonderful thing to do it's a, it's an interesting it was a choice for us because you know the podcast world is a fairly flooded world as we yeah. all know so it was like if we were going to do something it had to make sense there had to be like a a real raison d'etre behind it rather than just do anything so Mikita was the one actually who came up with this idea of doing something that was really authentically us and really authentically ours. Mm. And we talked about it. We talked about it. We went, oh, my God, what do we always do? People come to our house yeah. for dinner. They've been doing it forever. This is how we we have got the hugest extended family, and it's because of dinner parties like the Kathy one that you heard the other day. And we've been doing that since I have been doing that my whole life, since Mikita was a baby, and we have been doing that together since she was a little girl, you know. So it just feels like a genuine natural extension of our, our real life. And I think yeah. that's really important to us, isn't it, Keats? Yeah, I think so. And I think also, I think I was watching um the new Sex in the City and and just like that the other day. And she's obviously she's she's got a podcast, of course. And then uh this girl comes in and says, this isn't the heyday of podcast 2021, Carrie. Things are tricky out here. And I thought, oh God, she's so right. <laughs> and I think there is, there is, there has been a real change in just a, a, a saturation in the mm. market. But if we, we sort of realized that if we were doing something that we would be A, doing anyway in real life, then it's not even necessarily a podcast. It's us just sharing who we are and how we are with mm. people in a new place. Yes. And actually for us, um, it was important to create some autonomy. We'll continue to create autonomy for ourselves. As we said, we've had very long careers already, but this industry is can be very tricky um, and it can feel frustrating a lot of the time. And we wanted to use this as an opportunity to really like own something for ourselves. And we're producers. Our production company are producing this podcast. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of extra things. And you're part of all these different parts. You're not just hired for the job. And we're relishing that moment because this is an opportunity for us to... To, yeah, to create that autonomy and that freedom, freedom in this industry. Yeah. And we're learning a lot. It's been like about 20 lessons yes. in about yeah. a month. Every week, every week. Like, wow, we've been to like podcast school. <laughs> I know. And there's so much to learn. I want to talk about the podcast, but first and foremost, got to ask you some TV questions. Do and it. then we'll just yes. go everywhere. Because I really, I want to talk about food because, you know, it's one of the, it's one of the loves of my life. And mine too. Right. What, what is life without food? <laughs> and I've got loads of questions to ask about hosting and whatnot. But first and foremost, so we start with, what is the view from your sofa? So I want to be talked through your living room setup. 
Oh, okay. Uh, well, I've got two living yeah. rooms. Okay. <laughs> That's a broadcast she queen. Now. She's fancy now. <laughs> I have moved. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just turning around to have a look. So there's a massive telly in both of my sitting rooms. I love telly. I love watching telly. I'm not ashamed of watching telly. Telly is where I stop and turn my brain down mm. a little, turn the noise of the brain down. There are loads of books. There are piles of books everywhere. There is a big telly and there's a whole bunch of art that needs to be put up on the walls that is teasing me, that is mocking me from the corner of the city. We're going, get your shit together, Andy, and put us up on the walls. I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. So uh, and so that's mainly. And then also there were my 60th birthday presents, a giant pile of them. But I just um, opened all of them. Finally. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah, finally well opened them, Keith. So. It, it took a minute, Kelly. It took a it minute. It took a minute, Kelly. There was so much. It was, this is my jubilee year, Kelly. I turned 60 I like a month that. ago. Jubilee year. And it's my jubilee year. It's like, bless mm-hmm. the royal family. They've had a lovely time and it's nice that they tried. But I am having the real jubilee <laughs> yes. year over here. Bless them, <laughs> yeah. bless them, bless them. And, uh, That's and very sweet. we had a huge, my boyfriend threw me a massive three-day birthday party in east sussex and in a manor house he rented okay. and it was literally it was they were, we're calling it andy stock like woodstock but andy stock it was amazing people flew in from yeah. all over the world that i haven't seen for years and just i mean honestly when by the time it was over and i got back and i went off filming i came back and my city room was literally there was a mountain of presents and my friend said oh it's like when you get married you have to do one or two at a time otherwise it's a bit overwhelming yeah so I've been working my way through it but then the other day I had a day off and I just did it my mum calls it Andy's stock we're calling it mum's wedding to herself <laughs> I love that's that but it's a celebration <laughs> that's how it felt that's an incredible celebration yes. to get to yes. and I mean the wisdom that you will have accrued by that point is worth celebrating yes Yes. But also this is a you know, this is a it's important to actually think about the question of what what can you see from your sofa because my mum and dad have only just moved to this house and we've never had um a house, uh we've never had a, a place with like stairs and a big garden and things like that. And it's a it's been a really you know, it's not, we do not take it for granted. We work really, really hard, but it's a big deal that my mum has been able to uh, buy somewhere that shows the fruits of her labour. I've she bought it. so extremely hard. And it, it, no, but just has somewhere yeah. that's the, from the fruits of her labour. Absolutely. Um, I think, and, and that's what's happened to me. We've actually both moved house. I moved house last year. She moved house in Christmas, at Christmas. Um, I moved house just next door, but somewhere a bit bigger um, and a bit nicer. And I... I think I have to show my view. Yeah, show because it's just unbelievable where I live. I think for me, it's been a really big deal to to live on water. Mm. Never lived on water before, and it's a whole game changing thing. It's like you you can go. I've become really obsessed with the swans and their and their uh, chicks. Yeah, <laughs> and. Um, I watched them like grow from the spring. I saw them the other day. I was like, oh God, that's never got so big. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) But 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 it's really, it's, um, I think with a really hectic life Mm. and very, very busy working schedule, it's a real beautiful thing to live somewhere so calm and somewhere that gives me so much peace. Yeah, because when you get home from that kind of furore, so to speak, you need to be able to breathe and have space and just like, no, it doesn't. It's not even necessarily. That it's got to be like really, really quiet, but it's got to be peaceful. Yeah, it's got to. It's got to have an yeah. energy that is like an untroubled that you can energy, switch you know off. What I mean? 
Like if I hear my neighbours yes. having a party, I like that. That's a, that's a peaceful sound to yeah, me. Yeah, because it's community. So it's not about quiet. Yes, I don't need quiet. I just exactly. need chill. I don't need quiet for peace. Mm. And actually, I'm right by the... Um, Boat club. Oh, the marina. marina. The boating club. The marina. The marina. So there's kids, teenagers constantly having like canoe lessons. And I love the sound of them all yeah. like just going nuts and getting stuck and falling in and talking to each other. And then you see like uh, you get these barges come by and every barge has a very different energy. Every boat's got a different energy. You see like old couples on a boat on their own on a Saturday afternoon. I like this kind of busy piece. Yeah, and it's like nice people watching as well, I think. Yeah. And yeah, you see yeah, all of life piece. go past and you think all of these people have a story like as intricate as ours. And it's just fascinating to see big like time. the hubbub of, of life from your mm, window. You're right, yeah, big time. And I and I live high up and I think for me, well, even when I was a kid, my mum will tell you, I just always wanted to be like as high up as possible and I always loved a view. And when I was living on the ground floor for the first time in my life, my life was in the gutter. So I know <laughs> that when I'm higher up, it kind of... It allows me to dream bigger. Yeah. It allows me to see the world and think about what it is that I want to do in the world while I'm here, which I just don't feel when I'm on the ground floor looking at walls. She's so funny. Honestly, when she was a baby, yeah. when she was a little baby, uh, I used to, when she would wake up in the middle of the night, and most babies you can just like sit and rock them. No, no, no. <laughs> With Nikita, you, you could get up. Not only had to walk around the room, you also had to hold her elevated above your shoulder. When I say your, I mean mine. <laughs> Above my shoulder, yeah. like that, and move. Cons, keep moving. Don't move. Don't stop, mother. I don't know what you think this is. It may be three like o'clock in the morning. Like the I mean, Lion King. Ab, like, like the Simba. Lion King. Well, no, it's not sweet. Yeah, like Simba. It's not sweet. It's not yeah, probably sweet. not it's at sweet. 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah, in the morning. Thank you. Kelly's like, like yeah, oh, yeah, isn't like... that cute? No, no, Kelly, it wasn't cute. It was incredibly no. annoying. You're like, little shit. <laughs> it's a bit weird because she has always wanted to be really high up, even when she was a baby and she didn't know that's what it was. It's a very odd thing. Your schedules are incredibly busy when you do get downtime what do you enjoy watching on telly this is us <laughs> is this, do you, have you seen this is us kellyanne no oh babe you need to get it on okay what channel well, it's Amazon. I don't feel enough people in England know about it. It's just an American miniseries. It's quite possibly the best TV show ever. Oh. Yes, it's it's the best writing and 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 storytelling. It's about uh, one family, but it it's written by this incredible producer uh, who Dan we love Fogel. now called Dan Fogel, which is why when there's a brilliant story, we go, oh, Fogey, oh, come on, full folks. of twists, and we're like, what full would of folks twists, do? What full would of folks? threads. <laughs> What would folks do? It's all about how, uh, like what you were saying about people watching and everyone having a story. It's very much like that. You can't meet a character in this. They don't even introduce a seller in a shop without something being told of their story. Love it. There. And then that threading through into something else. It's beautiful. It's a really beautiful show. The casting is incredible. Because it's it's this family at different periods of their life, so you you jump back and forth throughout history with them. But the the young versions and the older versions of the characters are yeah. so yeah. bang on; you just can't 
It's like, what did you? Where did you get that yeah. baby that looks exactly yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah. It's like really that, like, mad. like a two-year-old looking like a four-year-old. But it's very emotional. It's very emotional. And also, then they do things like you're in love with a character in their thirties, and then they'll just at the end give you a little bit like quick hit of them in their sixties, and you're like, oh my god, they married someone. Oh my god, they've got a kid, and then it comes back. It's really clever. It's really okay, really clever. I'm definitely so going to give that. That's a watch. something we love watching together. You have to. But you know what? That was one of the first things we found in a while that we really loved together. Yeah. We don't actually love the same television. Possibly Stanley Tucci uh, eating Italy. Oh my gosh, that was incredible. Oh, we love Stanley Tucci eating Italy. Wasn't that good? I mean, again, just brilliantly cast as well. You know, what I loved about that show, which really was interesting to me, was that not only did he visit some, you know, quite fancy restaurants and all of that sort of stuff. He also engaged mm. with these brilliant community projects in each city or town that he went to. And, uh, you know, there was that incredible cafe where they kept, people kept burning the I woman's cafe that. down and she kept rebuilding it because she was so, so determined. There were just all these amazing, inspiring, community-driven, passionate people uh, woven throughout. So it was like this, it, this great love of food. I actually had dinner with him quite recently, Stanley too. Yes, I, well, first of all, I went, I was a month early. No, literally got there and went, it's in May. I was like, oh, mummy. Oh, mum. Oh, no. And I was really tired. I was like, I can't not go at Stanley Tucci. I'm going for this dinner at Annabelle. Fancy. I've been invited to this fancy Stanley Tucci dinner. And I, I got made up and I have a big blue fancy dress and all my makeup and my heels. And I got there and I, I called one of the guys I was meeting. I said, oh, I'm just around the corner. And he went, from where? And I said, from where we're meeting. He went, no, that's next month, Andy. And I said, driver, excuse me, taxi driver, can you just turn around and take me home? I was so glad I didn't get out of the cab. But anyway, then I did go and meet him later, the month's agent. He was such a brilliant, I mean, he was everything you'd want him to be, except, you know, uh, warm and welcoming and smart and funny and interesting. But um, he Mm. was talking about that aspect of the programme and how important that is to him, actually, that he absolutely touches on all of humanity. And I love that about those programmes. That's why they're so brilliant, because they're very human. The food is important, it's central, and it drives everything. But underpinning all of it is this real uh, heart-to-heart humanity that he manages to, to... You can almost reach out and touch it. And I think that's what makes it very beautiful and it makes it yeah. stand out. Also, I think for him and his background and, you know, it being about his Italian heritage as well. And I know you guys have done your own programme in the Caribbean, exploring your own heritage and also looking at the, I mean, there's so many elements to that programme. And you said that that took five years to get commissioned. What did you intend to do with that programme? And what did you learn from it? What did you take away? I think one of the biggest things was actually it was so frustrating having barriers put up constantly for that to be made. But when it was made, it was exactly the right time for us to go because of what we'd been through uh, more in our lives, particularly me. I'd just done a podcast um, for Amazon about the uh, the to accompany the Underground Railroad series, the Barry Jenkins series about the enslavement of African people in America, and it was I didn't want to do it. I could because I've always ran from that stuff, and it was a job, so it was my turn to face it, and it was in, in, incredibly difficult incredibly difficult but I did it and I learned so much and then two months later we went to the Caribbean so I was opened up in this whole new way about um 
about the people I come from and what we've been through. Um, so it was a good lesson for us because, you know, it doesn't stop. The frustration of trying to get things made doesn't stop. Things get made when they're meant to get made. They really do. And when we got there, we were ready. But we actually had no idea what kind of show we were going to make. We got there to do the first scene and we sort of looked at each other and went, okay, how is actually this going to shape up? And then it just kind of did. Yeah, we literally, we had a brilliant, brilliant director. And what was really important to us was that we centred Caribbean people themselves, ourselves, so that Caribbean people were telling the, our own story. Because what happens mm. so much when you talk about Afri African diasporic tales, stories and narratives, is that... Uh, the stories are told from the outside looking in. So people come from the outside of those cultures, of our cultures, and say, this is what happened to them. And it's always a them and us kind of story. So what was really important for us was that it was from the inside out, that you had allowed Caribbean voices to speak for ourselves. We allowed the the, the tales to be told from our vantage. The narrative came from us, not from the outside in. Even though, of course, we are... Um, British and Caribbean, and we are all of those things. But, you know, it's our heritage, it's our narrative, it's our story to to explore. And I think that meant that when we spoke to people in the Caribbean, it felt very different for, for them as well, because they'd never really had anybody of Caribbean heritage coming to um, yeah. uh, to give them that kind of platform. So it was really important for us that we did that, really. I really like editing. And I because we were producers on this, I was in the edit. And sometimes you're in an edit and you like lay a tune over something and it just fits perfectly. And you're like, I don't, I don't know what just happened, but it, something else came in. And this whole show just felt like that. Things just kept happening that were bigger than us. And I don't think that I even really had thought about, well, I definitely didn't think about how much it was going to mean to people. I just hoped people would feel it. Um, yeah. But the response that we have every day on the street is immense and at the beginning quite overwhelming um, and now um, feels, has just has filled us up in so many ways. I can't, I can't tell you, Kelly, how much love we have and how different it feels to make something that is felt in that way by people. It doesn't happen all the time in TV and this really was. We have Caribbean elders coming to us with tears in their eyes talking about the fact that they've never seen their stories told, told so clearly. We have people yeah. from uh, Polish and European backgrounds who are also migrant peoples saying, even though it's not our story, we recognise that story because it's this is it's a story of our people as well. You know, we had messages from a man who was up in sort of Newcastle with his 85-year-old Polish mother saying, my mum's on the sofa crying because she said it reminds her of her, her people and what they went through and how they got here and all, you know, so, and it reminds you that we are, as a nation, a nation of travelled people. We are a nation of migrant people, even though, you know, it's not really, um, that story isn't really drawn. But actually, every most English people, most British people come from somewhere else, you know, yeah. whether it was 10 generations ago, 20 generations ago, or five generations ago, or two generations ago. People came from other places and made this country what it is for all sorts of different reasons, because they wanted to, some because they were dragged here, some because they had no other choice, some because it's just where they ended up. But we are the stories of this country are stories of, um, of the movement of people. And, you know, that was really, really fascinating to us. And we learned so much when we made those films. We learned about ourselves. We didn't even know where in Africa we were from before we got there. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. like when we did it, I was 38. 
37. Mum was uh, 58. Two different generations and both of us academically, of course, know we're African, but emotionally had never really, I personally mom, hadn't really thought about, but from, but where, but where from? And finding yeah. that those DNA results was like the kind of thing that just keeps coming back to give you more, like the day of it was just like, whoa. But now a year on, it just keeps coming back. It just keeps giving me more. No, having that knowledge about my people and where they're from. And as my mom said in the show, hearing their footsteps and giving them, giving them so much more than just a sort of number or a name. It's like these giving are, them voice. Are giving them voices. Yeah. Yeah, and that felt like a real privilege to do to be able to do that, to be able to talk about our ancestors in that way. Yeah. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mc Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Dove. You use all the right skincare products for your face, but your body has been missing out. With new Dove Serum Body Wash, you can give your body the vitamin C glow it's been wanting, the hydration boost it's been craving, and the active skincare ingredients it deserves. It's time for your body care era. New Dove Serum Body Wash. Get Dove or get FOMO. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Why do you think, Makita, you said at the beginning there that you felt like before that time you were kind of running away from those things? Why do you think that was or what do you what do you think made that change? I think there's two different things. One was um, absolute uh, fear of uh, the horror of enslavement. I, I knew I it was something that I had seen a little bit of as a child and had affected me in a really dark, deep way, like it does to all of us. And I just knew it was something I couldn't take on and I, I, I couldn't look at. So it was, um, I mean, I had to watch the whole Underground Railroad. I don't know whether you've seen it, but it's so difficult to watch it's absolutely brilliant but it's just and you know why it's difficult because it's just the truth and it's so the horror is so of such a high level and the violence and the dehumanization I just I, it was very hard to just continue to stay in that space and my mum said you know we owe it to our ancestors to not turn away we all do and I had to keep looking and it changed my life so that was one thing that I knew I was was just complete and utter fear. The other thing was being a mixed race person growing up in Britain. Um, I, uh, I, it's just, it just wasn't celebrated at my black side. It, it wasn't something by me or by television. In my life, it probably was, but it wasn't something I wanted to talk about with my mum. I didn't want to talk about where we are black side. I didn't really necessarily want to talk about my white side. I just, I know I didn't want to talk about that. And on to be on TV at 15 and be literally the only black or mixed race person on TV, I felt very isolated and alone. And everything around me told me that this wasn't something that should be on screen or should be in this space. 
and I stayed and I worked hard, but I didn't know the impact I was making by by being there. I know now because of what I get told on the streets by by people all the time with so much love. But it's taken me a long time to realize that the person on TV as a teenager who was terrified of being black was actually uh, doing something important for black people and uh, especially young mixed race and black girls. That the, the things they tell me about seeing me on screen and it helping them see themselves. You don't even know what you're doing sometimes, but that's why you just always have to do the work and do the work well and do it from your soul and your heart. Because you both got into broadcast at different times, but I wanted to know if you if you felt there was a similarity in your experience in the industry, or if you felt like actually twenty, you know, twenty or ten years, twenty years apart. No, so it would have been fifteen years apart, maybe. Yes, mum, mum was on TV when I was a child, but only sort of sporadically, which made which was kind of how it was for a dark black woman on screen at that time. People were... There weren't jobs for me, really. I mean, there, you know, you know, and I look at people like Fluella Benjamin, who, you know, she's like one of... She's a, a mentor and a hero to me completely. You know, without mm-hmm. somebody like Fluella, God knows what she went through. I mean, I've she's told me the tips of the iceberg, but, you know, what she had to endure just to be herself and to create that incredible path that she created is quite extraordinary. You know, you look at someone like Moira Stewart, you know, who ran, who read the news, absolutely incredible. But for me, you know, I was constantly being put up for jobs and then I'd see somebody and I'm, I, you know, I, and I, I mean this with all the love in my heart, but somebody, you know, definitely less able than me uh, get the job again and again and again. I know that I'm good at the work that I do and I've always been good at it. I'm naturally good at it and I really, really enjoy it. So I just got fed up of it and kind of walked away because it's like constantly being undervalued by an industry. You just think, you know what? I'm just going to do something else that makes me feel good because that's kind of what I've always done in my life is do the things that make me feel good and that gets me to where I need to be. So I decided quite kind of, um, it wasn't even a conscious thing like, oh, I'm not going to do something. I just started doing other stuff because I, you know, I, life is too short to sit around and wait for other people. She to is give a you, doer. But yeah, life is too short for other, to sit around and wait for other people to give you permission to live and to be your brilliant self and to find your power. So that's not something I've ever been prepared to do then or now, frankly. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. So it was different between me, but then, you know, Makita had her own um, difficulties and problems and to be honest with you it has shifted now but there is still sometimes a little bit like well we've already got a black person we've already got a gay person we've already got you know what I mean there is a bit of a one in one out vibe a lot of the time which is you know a bit pathetic it's much better now but it needs there's still work to do you know yeah bloody hell yeah actually I think Kelly uh, from my experience it was more that I as, as because of my mother's daughter, bloody good at my job, and 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 it was a skill I just had within me that I didn't realise until I was put on set. I didn't go to a stage school. I didn't um, talk about TV presenting. I just went on this audition, and I just knew how to do it. Um, but as I got more and more well known, and more uh, sort of d- the years went on, the press were awful to me, awful to me, and really would bring up any little mistake that I made in a way that they wouldn't of my peers. Um, And I felt dragged quite often by the press, um, especially when Lily became famous and we were out a lot together. I just think they found it difficult that we were successful and and, um, young and good at our jobs. 
and working really hard. So they just and also and with opinions, you know, yeah. they were like young, were young women with opinions, and you know, they yeah. the, the 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 stuff that the press threw at Makita and at Lily, they would never have done to young guys in the same of situation. Course not, you know. Though. They were like, she's gobby. It's like, did you ever say that about any of the young dudes on, on Liam Gallagher? <laughs> Liam Gallagher. They would be like, oh, what a right. dude. He's so funny. Yeah. All Lily so had funny. to do was say, I so disagree funny. with you to be called all sorts of bitch, you know? So it's mm. a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult world for young people to, to be on TV or in uh, or a pop star or to be any of those things so visibly, even though it's fun and it's glamorous and there are all those sides to it, but it's also very challenging and it's it's uh, it, it makes you very vulnerable because you're open to um, um, other people's opinions, other people's pressure. And Makita and Lily, I think, they dealt with it well on some levels and on other levels. They kind of both, you know, the more they kind of became uh, sort of crumbled in on themselves, the more the press... Because they're, they're like bullies, do you know what I mean? So it's like if they see you responding, then they go for the jugular. So it was very, it was very difficult for both of them. I'm very proud, I want to say this now, of both Makita and Lily because they are exceptional young women. They always have been. They managed to traverse a world that kept telling them to sit down and shut up and get back in their box. And neither of them have ever shut up, sat back down or got back in their box. And I no. am so <laughs> proud of them. Yeah. Me and Lily's mum, Alison, are like, yeah, that's our girls right there. Yes, yeah. bitches. But it is, it's also because of girls like Makita, who I grew up and you were on TV. And I remember that. And I think I only ever saw you as someone who was funny and uh, charismatic and charming. And so, although it must be incredibly difficult to, when you're facing that kind of annihilation by people who don't know you, by people who are looking at anything to pull the rug from under your feet, actually, that's not what the majority of people think. The majority of people think you're wonderful. No, and... and Oh, well, thank you very much. And actually, that is that is kind of what got my career back. One thing I wanted to say, because we were talking about autonomy with the podcast, uh, what's very interesting about this second round in my career, meeting my mum's round of huge success, is that we did it ourselves this time. We were in, my mum was doing GBM and she was doing very well, but I hadn't got my career back yet. And I, uh, and I, um, and we did it in lockdown. We went back to who we were, what we wanted to say and what we wanted to do. And we created this thing on Instagram called What's For Dinner, Mummy. I started filming my mum making food. We were dancing, we played tunes. Then I decided I wanted to learn how to edit it. Started learning how to edit. And it just, from there, this huge drive came back to me. And I was like, oh, we can do this our way this time. And now we have this incredible opportunity, but we got it ourselves. All this work and all this, all the amazing things that are happening, my mum and I, it started from us. And I think that's what I've learned and what we have wanted to put into this podcast. For us, it's not just a podcast. It's like everything comes from us. The way it looks, the way it feels, the way it sounds, what we're cooking, um, the things we're chatting about. No one is telling us what to do. And that is exactly how we like it. Yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I heard in an interview, Andy, you said something, I'm paraphrasing, but it was so powerful. Um, and you said something like, you know, at the time you were 58 and you said, I'm 58 now and I know that I've got a seat at the table. And actually, if I want a second seat, I'll have a second seat and I'll welcome those to sit with me. And I didn't know this story. It was fascinating. So you got into radio, your first radio gig, off the back of working as a volunteer with yes, people diagnosed right. with... AIDS. Living with HIV and AIDS. Yeah. So can we talk about that journey as well? I forgot about that link. Is that is that yes, where from, from Lighthouse? Yes. Yeah, from Lighthouse. So there used to be a place off Labrick Grove called the London Lighthouse, and it was an incredible organi- an incredible space. It was this old building. I don't even know what it used to be. So maybe some sort of old factory or something, but they turned it into a beautiful hospice. And I used to do, I used to volunteer there on a Friday on Women's Day. And I met the most exceptional people in there, people who were did not have long to live people some people who managed to churn their life around and actually got the right medication and are probably still alive now but a lot of people you know we lost people all the time there and um just being there my brother had died and I had been quite depressed and working at the lighthouse really helped me plug back into life and understand that there was still life to live and that I was lucky as well, that I still had all this life. I had my health, I had all these things. And, you know, I was talking to people every week who, you know, had young children and they were looking death in the face. And so being in that place, because people go, oh, what a wonderful thing to do. It's like, no, it wasn't like that. It was for me, it brought me back to life. You know, I... Absolutely. I'm so grateful to all the people in that in that building and all the people in that space who helped me regain my life. And then one of the other people that worked there just said to me one day, do you want to do a radio show? And I said, uh, OK. And, uh, <laughs> and lots, lots of my life's been always been a bit like that. I've sort of fallen into things. Do you know what I mean? And then thought, oh, I like this. I think I'll do it. That's how I started singing. I thought, I like this. I think I'll do it. So I, you know, and that's kind of that, you know, it's because I, I was a punk and that's the kind of punk, you know, that's kind of what you did. You just did what you thought. Oh, this is fun. I think I'll do it. Um, so I started doing a radio show and I learned to drive the radio desk on air live. Like I turned up on the did Tuesday you? and I went and met the head of the station. And on Sunday I did my first radio show and there was somebody there going, that, I was like, which one's off? Which one? Yeah. Well, 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 well. <laughs> it was a bit like <laughs> It was a bit like that. For GLR, for GLR, for GLR, for GLR, yeah. One time I took, in the first week, I took the whole of the BBC off air for about a minute because <laughs> there was a big red button and it was like, don't push the big red button. So I pushed that, <laughs> of course I pushed the big red button. And they were like, you pushed the big red button, take it off. And I couldn't work out how to get it back on. Mum, <laughs> you probably took Radio 1 and Radio 2 it off as well, like bloody hell. The, long, the longest 30 seconds of my life, like trying to work out how to get the bloody World Service back on. Do you know what I mean? But um, I I quite like that seat of the pants, throw you into the fire yeah. kind of Sink or thing. Swim. I I Sink or swim, yeah. I just learn better that way. I'm not that, I've got more methodical as I've got older and I kind of have, you know, I've been enjoying learning things in a different way. But certainly for most of my life, I've done things by just going, like one time we had, a, um, my old agent called me and she said, uh, do you want to be in a production of the Vagina Monologues at the Royal Albert Hall? Um, with all these amazing, I said, when is it? And it was Tuesday. And she said, it's Thursday. <laughs> I went, what? And I was like, yeah, you give me five minutes. I put the phone down and I thought, oh my God, do I want to do that? 
That sounds it was like Isabella Rossellini, Maureen Lipman, all these incredible actresses. And I just thought, you can't say no. You have to say yes, because if you say no, you'll be what the rest of your life, you're going, oh my God, I should have done that thing. I should have done that thing. So I said yes, and I did it. And I've, I'll, again, never been so terrified in my life. I stood in the wings at the Royal Albert Hall going, oh my God, I think I'm going to be sick. I'm going to be sick. And then I just went on and I did my... Luckily, they gave you cards when you did the vagina monologues because they changed the skit. So I had all the words there, but I had kind of learnt it by then. And it was um, it was a transcendent moment for me and I got a standing ovation. And Oh, my God, I was so nervous thing. to watch that. Out of all the things my mum's done, I was like, I can't. She's going to be from Louisiana and she's going to be talking about her vagina. I was like, both things. I just don't know whether she can do that. And I had to be like a kind of... T- a- a- year old child from like the southern america yeah and then i went and did it in the west end for three months after yeah. and then i went on tour with it and stuff it was great it was a brilliant experience but again i just say yes to things yeah that's what i feel like just say yes and see what happens i think now kellyanne we're both very like dream bigger let's dream a bit bigger yeah. let's go even bigger and oh that's a bit scary good we're on the right path good. like it's not it's not every day you get to do have this kind of life with a parent and with a child and mm. for us to be that kind of team who have been through so much together who you know really didn't have of course we had so much my mum always made it feel like there was so much but we didn't have any money and we were always a bit on the breadline and a bit worried about how to get by and to have you know, that's why we don't stop. Everyone's like, you guys never stop working. It's like, that's because we know what it's like to not have anything and to have these opportunities. It's not going to let these moments pass. And I think we can just keep going bigger and bigger and, and doing more and more and giving back more and more. And, and everything that we do, because we're both doing very, lots of things alone and then together, everything is based in the same things, whether it's my mum's cookbook or me launching yeah. a skipping rope. Everything is based in community and love and stories and people. Um, and family. And I think that, and family, and that runs across the podcast, the TV we do. And I want to be proud of everything that mum and I do. I do everything to the top of my ability. I give my all to everything, whether it's hosting Sunday brunch or just a meeting. I give everything because this is an extraordinary life we've built for ourselves and we continue to. Yeah. Make it more extraordinary, and it's, and it's not a rehearsal. This ain't no dress rehearsal. It's so that true. Exactly. I mean, you you said in the um in the interview that I read about the, your house, you said it was such a beautiful line. It's like when you talk about the house that you grew up in, that your mum was only twenty when she had you, and then you say we were very lucky, and that's why social housing is so important. It saved our lives, and what I loved about that was that this idea that that house saw your lives evolve and you know our lives only really make sense when we look back at them at the end I think and you see like oh that's why that didn't work out or whatever but I love this idea that there's a house somewhere where like you know you were just working your way up and eventually like this is where it was going to end up you two being a massive success you know we had a moment when my book was launched where we walked out onto stage at the Queen Elizabeth Hall you know which was like almost completely full <laughs> and Makita was interviewing me about the launch of my book and we looked at each other and went oh my god like, what the how fuck? did we get here? How did this happen? How did we get here? 
And at the end, we everybody stood up and gave, again, the standing ovation, and we just had tears running, pouring yeah. from our eyes. We just were so overwhelmed, weren't You're, we? It was, it, was a, it was an unbelievably huge moment. I think it's really important. I'm very like that. I'm like, Mum, look at this moment. Feel it, because she can be quite like, no one's going to come and do it. I was like, no, this is happening, and this is what we've made our lives. But then the universe is crazy in that way, because I went to, um, I was doing a, a campaign for my uh, sports brand ropes and we shot it we were trying to find someone shooting everywhere we kept losing and then the one place I thought I was like oh my god the tabernacle which is the youth center could you call it a youth center it's kind of more important than that it's like community center um and it's behind Powers Terrace in Labra in Portobello, Westman Park, our old house and I went to the dance studio that we were calling I went hang on a minute opened up the fire exit and I could see directly into Powers Terrace, which is the house, the house we lived in for 14 years. I could, see, flat. I could see my childhood bedroom, my mum's bedroom. Mum, I could <laughs> see your bedroom, the sitting room. And I was just like, <laughs> it was deep. It was deep. I was like, oh shit, this is really real. Like we were just two kids in those little rooms and every life light is like that. You get these little lives that start in these small rooms and it's what you do with that. And you can do anything with that or or you don't, but we will. And we it's do. Because it's not about the size of your, it's not about the size of the room in the end. It's about the size no. of your heart. Yeah. And it's about the size of your drive and your power your and your dreams. Mm. It's is it there's a we have this thing, if your dreams aren't big enough to if, if your dreams don't scare you, it's because they're not big enough. Correct. It's, it's all right to be scared. Do it. Feel the fear and do it anyway. <laughs> what I really love about that is the thing that I think actually is the reason why both of you are so successful is because of your personalities. Anytime anyone has a conversation with you separately together, it feels like being welcomed into a big family. And that's what your podcast does. It's inviting yes. people into your house to share food. And what I was thinking about the power of podcasts. So in preparation for this, I listened to Andy's interview with Elizabeth Day on how to fail. And I was in Lidl and my food shop is my me time for the week. That's my mm. my moment. Okay. I've never mm. happier mm. than my food shop. <laughs> and I like to go around different shops, get all my ingredients, go to like, we've got like an Asian supermarket near us, look at the butcher, see what's going on. Totally. And I was listening to the podcast and I was by the tomatoes and I just burst into tears because oh. the power of that conversation, I mean, there's a moment in it, I'm going to get upset and I shouldn't but there's a moment where you're talking about being a young girl and I'm, we we don't need to go into it but I'll just it's okay, you explain can. briefly you had your hair done you felt incredible oh. and you were mocked by your German teacher and I was yeah. just stood by the tomatoes crying and then by the end of that conversation I had to come home um, I thought mm -hmm. Do you know what, that's such testament to the power of podcasts and having, you know, what we don't see is sometimes with other interviews, you know, print interviews are amazing and they've got their own space. But what you don't see is you don't hear that person's voice and actually hearing your story from your mouth about a story that on paper would still be incredibly upsetting, but hearing it with all that emotion, hearing mm -hmm. it with the emotion of, of a grown woman discussing a trauma that happened in, in her childhood that we don't get rid of those things. You know, there's there's no. parts of me that's impacted by the people that were awful to me as a youngster. And then that doesn't go. It makes you stronger and it makes 
you have the ability to turn around and say, actually, you don't have that control anymore, but it doesn't go away. And I, I feel that it can become your superpower, you know. I feel like that those, those trauma, that if you talk about it in these spaces, if you're, if you have, if you have the, given the opportunity, if you're afforded the opportunity to have conversations like this, Kelly, um, or to have the conversation I had with Elizabeth, or to have these conversations with each other, it doesn't have to be recorded, but to be able to have those conversations mean that you can get a different perspective on that trauma and those and if, if if you survive those things, like we are all lucky enough to survive the traumas, then they does become your superpower because it becomes the engine that drives you. That's certainly what's happened for me. You know, I met a little girl the other day in uh, I was up north filming something. This young girl, a black girl, and she was talking. We were, it was she was with a group of friends, and I won't go into it because I don't want to you know it's her privacy but I she was an incredible young girl but she was talking in a slight code and I suddenly realized she was the only black girl in her class because she lives up up north in quite a very very small little town and I said to her you know that I used to be I was the only black girl in my class and when I said it to her her face lit up and I said you like me don't you she said yeah and I said I survived that you will survive it and it will be your power I am powerful look at me look at me and know that you can do this you can come through this and when you do you'll be magical mm-hmm. you'll be you'll be so much more magical than the people around you because of what yeah. you've survived because it teaches you to be kind it teaches you empathy it teaches you to look further than the surface because you once you've had that done to you or perpetrated upon you you know to never do that to another human being you know to live with kindness you know to take the steps that mean that you become a properly empathetic human being so it, it's like it's almost like the pain is the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> like I, you know, I I can now, and I know, I was like, what am I doing in this town? And I thought I was sent here so that little girl could meet me. And so she would know. Yeah, and I I think that, um, thank you for saying that, Kelly, because I'd only heard that story really in detail when mum told it there, and I was in bloody shock. It was like, to think about your mum being a little kid and going through something like that. And I think an experience that I felt was like, um, your bankruptcy and um, that being everywhere when I was 27, 26 and uh, feeling so embarrassed in front of all my peers and the industry. And I had to get through that. I had to get through public bankruptcy in my mid twenties. That was fucking hard. But now I take care of my money. Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I now, and I will, and I will never, I will never be casual or irresponsible in that way with the things that I have gained for myself ever again. I went bankrupt because I didn't think I deserved my my job or any of those opportunities. I thought they were they should have been for someone else. Even though I knew I was the best at that job, I didn't feel like I was worthy of all that money or opportunity. Now I know I am. And it's like that Destiny's Child song, you know, in Survivor, when they first recorded, she's like, thought I wouldn't sell without you sold nine million. But by the time they get to the Grammy, she's like, sold three, 365 million and it just keeps going up and up and I'm just like yes so actually I feel like what people put you through whether it's a man or the people the people in your life you think you can trust some friends and then they all disappear when things go badly all those people thank you thank you 
because it gives you yes, everything you. you need to get to where you're going to go, even bigger, even stronger. So I say thank you very much, and then you give them back a bit of the shit, but you keep that strength. Keep it for yourself. But, you know, Kelly, I think you're right about this. Um, just going back to your uh, your point about the conversations you can have in this podcast space. It's really quite interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, we've, we've, we've got quite a few in the can now. And having people in our home for these conversations, it's like we're, we're both very good at our job. We're both good interviews. You're clearly a good interviewer, Kelly. And you would have, you'd, you'd be doing a great interview wherever you were. But this is great. But there's something about this space and spaces like it that it feels unfettered. You feel un, uh, you feel there's a liberation to this world. There's a liberation to these conversations that you can have. It's like something we can offer to our guests. Yeah. A little moment of reflection and care and nurture and love and familial hand extension, like holding up the hand of family love out to the people that we invite to our home. It feels really like a privilege to like be a able privilege. to do that. And we're thrilled by it. One of the things that I really liked about the podcast is the way that it centers around food. And what that meant for me was I've suffered from issues surrounding food. And I think what's really nice is it really puts food in the center as a way of making a community, as a way to sit down, yes. to share conversations. And we do live in a world now where food seems to be, you know, from experience, something that you flip flop between diets or, you know, foods as good as or bad or as food as dirty or clean and all of that stuff. Clean eating, which, you know, for me is often code as restrictive eating. So I think what has been really nice is seeing something with the focus, seeing you guys, you know, I just said food for me is, is one of the loves of my life and I have a complicated relationship with it, but one that I'm like, you know, will continue to work on. And I think what's been so nice to hearing you go to the market where you get your food from, yeah. what you're cooking up, you know, and, and how actually food is not an isolated journey. It's not something that you need to do in isolation. It's about community. Well, actually, that's interesting because we, we did think, obviously, we were like, well, there's quite a lot of podcasts with food in it. But we wanted to do something that wasn't just, it was about everything else that comes with that. So it's like, you know, what some of the best parts about you were saying, look how much you enjoy your weekly shop. We were like, oh, let's do, like, you know, let's go to where we go to get the things for the dinner. And that is our community that's down the market, that's at the butchers, at the greengrocers. Let's give those people some voice and some light on them and how important our markets are. Um, and then let's yeah. do that process. So you hear the process of like mum actually cooking, me making the drink, me thinking about what that person's needs are. Then when by the time everyone's sitting down to eat and consume and, and share you've already been on this whole journey to get there and that is why I think people love coming together to eat it's not just about sitting down and what you're eating it's about everything that surrounds it and then everything afterwards that you're left with so we really wanted to show all those stages and as mum said give our guests something that they enjoy want to come to like I remember with pop world even there were so many uh music uh pop shows at the time uh which were all great in their own way but i knew at, uh, after about two years three years guests wanted to come on pop world it would be make them laugh they wouldn't be asked stupid questions and you know i thought pop world was very smart actually and not and and actually very warm i don't think it was um 
sort of standoffish and, and 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 scathing and sarcastic. Not at all. That's not what me and Simon are like. We're actually it, real empaths and love it, people, but we just it, didn't it was, have time for dishonesty. A, a little bit sarcastic, but we just didn't have time. There was no time for diso- <laughs> dishonesty or bullshit. People, it was just the truth. And I, 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 I'm very lucky that I started my career in a place where I fought for that because that wasn't something we were just able to do. Me and Simon had to fight for that. And it's something I've continued in my career. And this is just a huge example of that. Like, this is just the truth. Stirring it up is the truth. It's the truth of who we are, uh, what we've always given to people and what we want to continue to give to people and the world for the rest of our lives and careers. So it feels really, it feels really powerful, actually, this moment. It does. And actually, you know, you're talking about that thing, Kelly, of us starting in these little rooms in, in West London and doing all things. Even then there were people coming round to our house for dinner yeah. and for Christmas. We used to have waifs and strays Christmas. We still do. We still because do. Because I can't bear having Christmas. I can't bear thinking about people like, where are you going to be at Christmas on your own? I can't stand it. So they'd always have come round to our house. Even when we didn't have any money, I still managed to pull it together. It's like Nana and I, my best friend, you know, we'd have like 10 quid and we'd be able to buy, or like five quid even sometimes. We'd, You know, chicken wings were cheap back then. We'd be able to buy chicken wings, <laughs> salad, rice, and we'd be able to get a party happening God, yeah. and a proper like vibe going on you know what I mean that's the other thing me and mum know how to throw a party we know how to throw a lunch we know how to give people a good time like that we know how to do so, <laughs> so it's like, to I've been to some dry dinner parties and I was like oh my oh, god Lord. I thought they were just always like the Save ones at my mum's I was like what the fuck is this sort of silent dinner parties with bad food. So so it's it's fun for us to do. And also, you know, we don't really see each other that much at the moment, unless we're... At the moment, it's ridiculous. Yeah, so it's it's lovely for us to... Because we're both so busy. Yeah, and no, it's because we don't really like each other. No, obviously, because it's so, so busy. <laughs> <laughs> She's a bit of a dick, let's face it. <laughs> Sorry, like I'm a... But she, uh, but to, to come together in all this crazy big new crazy world that we create for ourselves come together and do something we've always done since I was born feels good it feels good it feels rooty and to be able to and to be able to take and that's what that's why truth is important in all broadcasting in all anything that you do if at the heart of it is the true thing the one true real thing that you believe in then it's going to be great that's why the Stanley Tucci um, series is brilliant because it's his true passion it's his true life it's his true search it's why our um, Caribbean series was great it was our true experience it was our true desire the podcast we are loving because again it's our truth this is what we do and it's what we do to make ourselves happy and and it's how we've just survived some really tough things actually as well as celebrated really beautiful things you know yeah and um, I, it's interesting that you're talking to me about um, disordered eating and that checkered relationship with food, Kelly, because I think it's a really important conversation to, to, to have more openly and more freely. In, in the Elizabeth interview, I talk about yeah. my own eating disorder and my own um, struggles with all of that. And actually, there is still for me this lovely moment of being able to reclaim one of my best friends which is food <laughs> bringing food into my life in a way that is beautiful and gentle and nurturing when it became painful it was very hard for me when I developed a serious eating disorder it was very very difficult because food was my safety place it was the space that I'd always lived in and spent time in that had felt like 
you know, the one thing that was unshakable. And when that got shook, and when that broke, it, I was lost at sea completely. So to be able to regain myself and to pull myself back up onto dry land is, yeah. has been such a powerful, important thing for me. Isn't it funny, the thing that you had this, like, such difficult relationship with your whole life has become literally at the backbone of all your success? Yeah, because it's, it's my true love and it yeah. is my true passion and it is, for me, a true a place of artistic expression and creative expression. And it's the language, it's my lost language. It's the language that I use to express love to more than one person, you know, and to yeah. all the people that are important in my life and to new people too. It's like holding out the hand of welcome, like I said, and that for me, I, I, I was in, we were in Barbados really recently and um, I met this Native American, uh, American Indian chef and she and I sat on the edge of the beach having this conversation. I was like, oh my God, this is literally one of my favorite moments of my whole life. And she was talking about how they bury food in the, in the sand to cook it. And we were talking about barbecuing and the fact, and I was telling her that barbecuing, one of the oldest ways of cooking in the world, it's actually the word barbecue is a Taino Indian name. And they are the indigenous people of Antigua and the Caribbean, actually. And um, uh, bar so we were one of the first, first peoples in the world to barbecue in that we used the smoke to cook as well as just the fire and to cover things over. Like the, the history of something like jerk chicken is fascinating. Jerk chicken was invented by, um, uh, it's by runaway, well, enslaved Africans who went up into the mountains in Jamaica and they were up in the mountains with the, with the people up there who were the Maroons. There was a tribe up there called the Maroons and they were cooking food, but they didn't want the soldiers to be able to find them. So they covered the, the cooking, the fire with reeds and grasses and tin so that the soldiers couldn't see what was happening. And that's why jerk chicken is cooked in the way that it's cooked. So jerk chicken is not just a spice, it's a way of cooking. And the history of it is really important because it's a story of survival. It's the story of ingenuity, you know? So when people yeah. say, Oh, I, you know, like there was that whole fuss because every because Jamie Oliver had said he would, was going to make jerk rice or whatever, and everybody lost their shit, and they were going, "Oh, why does it matter?" And it's like it's not that it really matters. We all borrow from each other. We're a multicultural society. We're meant mm. to borrow from each other. I, you know, my mum didn't grow up eating shepherd's pie, but I make a mean shepherd's pie. You know what I mean? So it's not that, <laughs> that in and of itself it's offensive, but you should know the history. And if he'd known the history, yeah. he would have known that you can't make jerk rice unless you're going to bury it and cover it in smoke because it's not a seasoning, it's a cooking method. So it's like, if you're going to borrow, learn about it, yeah. find out what you're exploring. You know, when I'm making whatever from another culture, I try to find, you know, you've got to learn, find out from the people, go talk yeah. to some Italians. Not just what, some, but why. Not just what, not but, just why. what but why. And who and where, and then. And yeah. then you're really excited. Not, I, but P.S., I love Jamie Oliver. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I think yes, he's absolutely brilliant. And I love I love his heart. But I think it's okay to say, actually, this is why you got it wrong and then learn from yeah. it as well. And this that's why people got upset, Jamie. Not because you're a bad, because you're a brilliant man. I love him. But, but you just needed you to know this. Dig a little deeper. Dig a little deeper next time. Dig a little deeper. Yeah, and I think food is 
obviously a way of preserving culture and identity. And like you say, you know, I feel very blessed because I grew up in London. So the incredible food that I've had access to, and I mean, I live in North London and there you've got Caribbean food, you've got Italian food, you've got Indian food. I was going to say, I get I get quite Crouch Endy energy from you. Is that where you're from? I'm in Finsbury Park. Finsbury Park. Can I just say, Kelly, when you just said I live in North London, I could hear Makita go, what does she do? <laughs> Makita is the nosiest person in the world, right? She wants to know where you live, how long you've been there, what's in your fridge, what you got on the pot. <laughs> no, this has been absolutely incredible. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you so much, honestly. You are a joy, yes, Kelly. Yes. Thank you. You know what? And I'm going to tell you this right now. We do a lot of interviews. We do a lot of interviews. Most of the time, I would say 80% of the time, it's nobody, they haven't bothered to research. They don't really know who they're talking to. They know a little bit or they have six questions they ask. It's not a great comment. This has been an absolute yeah, delight. Yeah. You are brilliant at your job. It's and so we nice are to so meet you. thrilled to meet you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, you might like to listen to my interview with the absolute powerhouse Dame Emma Thompson, in which she discusses how women were treated as second-class citizens while she studied at Cambridge, how the Oscars made her sick, and what she has learnt about love. Or you might enjoy my episode with the podcasters Chris and Rosie Ramsey, in which they talk about what it's like working with your partner. Both episodes can be found by scrolling back through the Radio Times podcast feed. Thank you for listening to the Radio Times podcast with me, your host, Kellyanne Taylor. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please do follow, rate and review wherever you get your podcast from. It helps other TV and film lovers find us. Until next Tuesday, happy viewing. <laughs>